Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. I am so happy to have you here, and I am very, very excited about today's episode. We're going to be talking about how you can chill out because without realizing it, a lot of us need to. A lot of us need to reduce our stress levels. We need to calm down. We need to get into a more chill state. And this is something that I have been working on very very strategically over the last couple of months. And I'm going to continue to be working on this very strategically in the future as well, because a lot of what we're going to be talking about today was actually inspired by my journey working to heal my gut, because I've had a lot of gut issues and skin issues, skin issues, typically stemming from your gut issues over the last year. And a lot of, you know, even last year, probably around this time last year, I actually had started to see an osteopathic doctor. So it's an, it's a doctor that supposedly is supposed to be all natural and really like good at helping you with your holistic health. And I took so many flipping tests. I worked with her for quite a bit. And by the end of our time together, I actually, I discontinued it because my problems actually were getting worse the more time I was spending with her. And so it wasn't to say, you know, that she was doing anything wrong, but it just wasn't the experience for me. And then instead of kind of completely giving up, I actually went and I saw a naturopath and nutritionist and they were incredibly helpful. And that has very much kind of like trickled into what I'm working on now, which is really, really breaking down my stress because what we're starting to realize is that my gut issues in particular do not stem from food insensitivities. They don't stem from like anything that is really having anything to do with what I'm eating, which is funny because that's exactly what we're always told. And I think for some of us, that's definitely the problem for me. It just hasn't been, I actually like took a food sensitivity test and I had like no sensitivities and that was wonderful because I am not someone who really enjoys being able to, or like actually cutting food out of my diet. Kevin always makes fun of me because he has celiacs. So we will naturally kind of eat gluten-free around the house. Sometimes I still have bread because I love bread, but he just makes fun of me because I, I just can't get rid of things out of my diet. I don't want to. I like having the balanced lifestyle. I like being able to tune into what my body needs and listen to what's coming up when it's coming up. So as we were going through that, realizing that my gut issues aren't necessarily because of the gluten and dairy. And the more that I was taking things out, the worse things were getting, even as I like did it for a longer period of time we basically had to do a total reroute. And now the focus for me has been on really decreasing my stress. And although I won't say that my gut or skin is completely healed, I will say that after doing it for a couple months, I've seen improvements. I also know that especially with my gut and skin being like most likely the issues are stemming from a heightened amount of stress and adrenal fatigue, which obviously is part of the last year where Kevin was gone and deployed. I know it's not going to go away overnight, right? Like he was gone for a year. He was in an extremely, extremely scary situation. And from the moment that he actually, I think it was a couple months after we started dating and he mentioned that he was going away. That was actually when my skin issues started. So it's interesting to kind of reflect back, noticing that hmm, a lot of this actually probably has to do with the amount of stress I was under while he was leaving. Then add the stress from the wedding, all of that good stuff. And just stressed from owning my own business. And my system was a little overworked. So all that to be said, I know that my gut and skin are not going to fix themselves overnight, but I do, I have already seen improvements in that area. 
And even more so, and this is where this really starts to tie into any of you listening who maybe don't have gut or skin issues, but you're like, something tells me I need to reduce my stress. One of the biggest changes that I have seen since doing that is in my general mood and my clarity and like how I see things, but also in my relationship, meaning that my ability to be in not even just my romantic, my romantic relationship with Kevin, but also with my friendships and my family relationships, I have just felt so much more myself and I have felt so much more clear and I have felt so much like less on edge in situations that used to make me on edge. And so I wanted to bring this conversation to all of us because I think all of us have places where we're probably more stressed than we realize. And that stress is actually affecting our overall life experience and what's coming out of our relationships, our work, our health, all of those good things. So with that, let's jump into this episode a little bit more. Before we do, I want to talk about how this really relates to sabotage and put it in context of something that we haven't talked too much about on this podcast yet, which is the fact that there are really two different types of sabotage. So all humans experience some level of sabotage. I always say that there's literally like no common theme between my clients in terms of demographic, like there's no race commonalities or gender commonalities or age commonalities or religious commonalities really the people that I work with tend to come from so many different backgrounds and walks of life. And I always think that that is so beautiful and so interesting because it really just portrays the fact that sabotaging ourselves is a human problem. It's something that as humans, we all really experience. And as humans all experiencing some form of sabotage, it's important to understand that sabotage is showing up in, from what I have seen, two main areas. So the first is this really, really um, blatant area, which we talk about a lot. This is where procrastination falls, general resistance, not doing things. And this is what I'm just going to call for right now, the area of not showing up and not doing the work, right? We're sabotaging ourselves. It's super blatant because we're just not doing what we know we need to do. The other area, and this is where if you experience this to any extent, this episode is going to be super helpful for you is the overdoing meaning that you are actually like addicted to taking action. You are doing so many things to get results. You are probably in this position where you're not actually getting results, but you find that you have a really hard time not doing things. Like if you take a step back from work or take a step back from cleaning your house, it actually makes you more anxious. And you're in this like state where you're actually like so manically doing that you are not doing correctly or doing well, or it's confusing that you're doing everything and you're not getting the results. This second camp is a thousand percent. The one where, when I enter into a sabotaging pattern, I always enter into this camp every single time it's happened. If you think about like an eating disorder, like uh, with exercise too, right? This is the camp that that usually sits in. I couldn't not exercise. I couldn't sit still. I like had to be doing something. I had to be moving. Um, another example is with work. I couldn't not be doing something like when I felt scared that something wasn't going to happen or I was going to fail, it actually made me do more. And we usually like to pride this bucket as the good bucket to be in, but this bucket is just as damaging in terms of the results you're getting and your physical health as the first bucket. So I wanted to call that out. 
Because I think sometimes we have this idea that self-sabotage is only us showing up and not doing things, but self-sabotage is actually oftentimes showing up and doing things from the wrong place. And because of that, really neglecting to clear some of the stuff underneath the surface that's preventing us from getting the actual results from what we are doing. Meaning we can sabotage ourselves from taking too much action. It actually happens. It happens all the time. And a lot of my private clients really struggle with this. So I wanted to call that out first with this second bucket. This is like really where we're going to sit with some of these tips. So just be, be like, be wise, like use your discretion and really understand yourself and what bucket you are in. If you are someone who likes to trick themselves into thinking that they, uh, they are doing enough and it's actually, they're allowed to do less, right? When your problem is not doing enough, then maybe this episode, you don't want to take all of these tips, right? You don't want to turn off all the time, but if you're someone who like a lot of us has a really hard time, not doing things and not being productive, then I want you to really take some consideration into what we're going to say. The second thing that I want to address before I get into some of these tips is this idea of how different cortisol affects men and women. So the cortisol cortisol levels directly relate to how much stress we are experiencing and the type of fatigue that our body is experiencing. A lot of this will also dress directly relate to sabotaging patterns by nature. Women have a more dramatic response to cortisol levels spiking. And because of our hormones, it actually can take a really big toll on us. Men by nature are able to handle higher cortisol levels. So if you're a man, it doesn't mean don't take these things into consideration. It means just realize that like you can actually handle a little bit of stress, but even in the world today, most men are probably getting, especially if you're in that second bucket, you're probably more stressed than you realize. And a huge part of this is being able to really manage that so that you can, that you can have more clarity in the other areas of your life. Obviously the best way to permanently and really sustainably help with all of these things is going deep, clearing the trauma, clearing the patterns, clearing the beliefs on a mental and physical level, meaning not just doing the mindset work, but doing the somatic work that is associated with letting go of some of this stuff that is causing us to sabotage ourselves, causing us to be stressed and causing us to feel stuck. But for this episode, and as I go into these tips, these are going to be a little bit more short-term, like things that you can actually start to do today and just dive into them. So those are my like kind of background pieces of info I wanted you to be aware of. With that, let's jump into some of the tips. So number one, it's to change your focus from how much can I do to how much white space can I create? This is a really big one. It's been so helpful for me because without realizing it, a lot of us are operating from the default mentality of as soon as we have some time or some space in our calendar, we immediately fill it with another task. So with me and my business, I used to notice this where as soon as I had a little bit of extra time, I would start to prep social media posts. Even if it was just 30 minutes, I would immediately go do it or in normal life. I would do the laundry. I would clean something. I would go on a walk. I like couldn't give myself permission to sit down and just relax, just rest, and definitely could not give myself permission to do something from a space of joy. When we really start to shift that default mentality from how can I fill this time best to how can I create more white space in my calendar? 
then what we're doing is actually starting to put the focus on rest, on relaxation. And the more that we're able to create that in our calendar, the more that we're able to practice chilling out (laughs) and de-stressing and the more that we are able to actually lower those cortisol levels. So that overall focus that we put on our like kind of default mentality, I like to call it is so, so key because it creates room for us to actually put these things into practice. This does not work though. If you are creating white space and then you're filling it with something that's kind of like a distraction or something that is still productive or anything like that. Like you actually need to follow through and in that white space on your calendar, maybe it is that you take a really slow walk and you're just like very present during that time. Or maybe your white space becomes actually like time for you to read a book or time for you to just like take a nap or really take the time to prep some food or paint something because you've always wanted to practice painting. But when we actually put the intention out to create white space, we do have to follow through on living in the white space, which for a lot of us is going to be the hardest part, part of that. So second thing, second tip, clean your house deeply. This one is kind of funny to me because if you guys don't know it, Kevin and I live in a house that is, we have like an apartment in this house. It's two floors. So you have a second floor apartment, but the house itself was built in the 1800s and it's like a historic house. And that's super cool in theory. And it is actually like perfect for this stage of our life. Although I'm very excited to move to Chicago to our new house. Um, with that, we definitely have a house that is falling apart because by the historic guidelines, you can't do all of the types of renovations that they'd ideally like to do to this place. And because of that, some of the stuff is like legitimately falling apart or it looks like it's from the 1800s. So we have basically just neglected to clean the place other than like keeping it tidy, like hanging up our clothes, that kind of stuff. But when it comes to like vacuuming and getting the dust off and like really deep cleaning, we probably haven't done it more than once since we moved back in, in October. And I started doing this with him a couple months ago and it has made the biggest difference, but I just think it's almost comical because part of why we haven't been doing it is because the place already looks old, no matter how much you clean the place. And so we haven't wanted to do it. Also, we had all of our wedding gifts shipped to Chicago because we knew we'd be moving back to Chicago. And so we have a vacuum here. It broke and I haven't wanted to buy a new vacuum because it just seems pointless to get like a semi crappy vacuum here when we have like a really fancy, nice one in Chicago that I'm so excited for. So like these little like household tasks of, you know, vacuuming the floors or keeping things clean, we have not been doing. And I didn't realize how much it was affecting my ability to remain calm until we actually started taking one day a week together to take a couple hours, deep clean the apartment. Like actually like we didn't buy a vacuum, but we did start to like sweep because that was an easy solution. I just was not thinking about. And even though the place looks old, like giving ourselves the ability to clean the things that we can clean it's made the biggest difference. I could not recommend this more. I honestly think it's funny that I haven't done this earlier, especially because I've never been someone who doesn't like to clean my place, but just a tip for you. If you're not doing this, 
ask yourself if you could set some time aside to deep clean your house, whatever that means for you. Just go like one to two levels deeper than what you normally do on a day-to-day basis of like picking up your clothes or making your bed. Like maybe it's dusting, maybe it's vacuuming, maybe it's, you know, washing all of your appliances, whatever it is, because you will be so surprised how much clarity and how much stress reduction comes from that space. All right. Number three, switch up your exercise routine. So this one is really key because a lot of us who are in that hyper productivity mode, we really, really focus on how much exercise can we do and at how high of an intensity. So even when I had healed a lot from the disordered exercise patterns that I had, I still was someone who was almost like addicted to high intensity workouts, especially like high intensity, like cardio workouts. And it felt so good. And one of the biggest keys for me was learning that my, that feeling that you get from a high, like intensity, like cardio workout isn't actually a good thing. It's actually, it's, they describe this so well, but I'm going to really butcher it. That addiction is to like the adrenaline. And so because of that, you're essentially operating from a state of not what your body needs and you are burning out your adrenals, burning out your cortisol levels. Like you're spiking everything when you're in that state for a lot of people, they're not doing it to an extent that can hurt them. But for anyone who is always, always, always trying to get more hit in or more running or more of a cardio boost, you're going to want to really start to back off, especially if you're a woman, because our hormones are not meant to actually work with that high level of cortisol all the time. It actually goes, if you've never looked into cycle syncing or understanding the way that your hormones work with your period, you're going to want to do that. If you're someone that has their period, or if you've lost their period and you're supposed to have your period, this also has to do with it because there are certain times of the month that it's actually more effective for you to do those cardio workouts. And then other times of the month where if you do them, it'll actually cause your body to get into such a high stress response. Even if you only run for like 20 minutes, it'll cause your body to get into such a high stress response that you actually start to hold on to weight. And I, when I learned this was like, first off shocked from a weight gain, weight loss perspective, but it made so much sense because when I was really in that disordered pattern, I had to, I was eating so much less and working out so much more than a lot of my friends to remain the exact same size as them. And I never understood it, but now being on the other side of this and really doing the work to heal these patterns, I see that part of why my body was holding onto so much weight, despite the fact that I was doing so much to get it off was because I was really spiking my cortisol at the wrong times of the month. So just start to kind of like look at where you're really burning your body out every single day, men and women, and just start to back up a little bit on that. Also, you can really start to pay attention to the timing of it. So this has been really helpful for me is instead of always working out in the morning, that spikes your cortisol super high. So instead I've actually been switching. If I do go to the gym to doing it, like at least a couple hours after I've woken up so that it is able to kind of level out And this is going to be harder to do depending on what type of work you do and when you work, but just look into how you can kind of switch that timing up because our cortisol levels naturally rise as we get into the day a little bit more. 
The last part with exercise too, that I wanted to mention was that you might want to start, and this is the easiest way to start doing this rather than like completely changing what your body is like used to start to just ask yourself, what does your body need? So I found that at particular parts of the month, my body really needs walks or it wants to dance or it wants to go to a spin class or Pilates or something else. But starting to tune into what it needs and what it actually sounds like it would feel good to do has been so helpful because before I was in a very strict schedule of I'll run on these three days of the week. This is even after I've done a lot of the healing work around eating and exercise, like even before the, like right before the wedding. And I didn't think it was anything bad, but I'm learning more now that it actually has caused a lot of damage is I would just by nature do hit workouts three days a week with strength, arms, legs, and abs. And then three of the other days of the week, I would run or do the stair climber or something like that. And it was just kind of my default. It was like a good 30 minute to 45 minute workout every single day. And then I'd have a day off. I thought there was nothing wrong with it, but as I've actually started to lean back and say, what does my body need? I started to realize that two long 45 minute walks during the day sometimes does me so much better than exercise, like actual strategic exercise. And sometimes I need to run. Like sometimes I, I really am craving a run and I enjoy every bit of it. But when I can actually give myself the luxury of choosing that rather than going on my default pattern, it allows you to listen to your body more, especially what your body needs in order to reduce those cortisol levels. All right. Tip number four, cacao in the morning and coffee in the afternoon. So this could also look like tea in the morning or coffee in the afternoon, or maybe you are already there and you're not having coffee at all. But what we're really talking about is decreasing your caffeine levels because caffeine is going to spike your cortisol and moving that caffeine intake. If you are choosing to do so to a time of the day where your cortisol is naturally rising. So that would be the afternoon time. So I've noticed a huge difference in switching from having a coffee in the morning. And I would have never been someone who really has more than one cup. Like occasionally I'd have like a cup and a half too, but my default is usually one or a little less than one. But all I've been doing is moving that cup of coffee into the afternoon time. Sometimes I won't even have more than half of a cup. And in the morning I've been switching to cacao because I still like having something kind of bitter and like nice to drink and yummy and all of that good stuff. So cacao has been like the perfect choice for me in the morning. And I can see if I can link what that is, but cacao is essentially the natural cacao bean. Like I know a lot of you are probably taught thinking that this is like um, hot chocolate. It's not, it's very different. It actually tastes more similar to coffee, but more bold. And there are like chocolate undertones, but it's super bitter. Cause you essentially take the cacao beans, you they're, they're ground. You can like just buy it like coffee grinds. And I use it just to pour over and it works wonderfully, but you take the grinds and you just mix it with water and like get the grinds out like you do with coffee and brew it and you drink it, right? You don't even have to add anything else. I typically don't add anything else. I like my coffee black and I like my cacao in that natural state as well. But cacao has an, like a huge amount less of caffeine. And because of that, it really is a better morning time drink for me. And I found that my overall anxiety levels and general like heightened state have calmed down so much from this. So just a tip to try out and cacao is like a great option for you to try too, as like a permanent switch for coffee. Sometimes I don't even have coffee anymore because I actually like the taste of 
cacao more, um, depending on the day. But tea is another one that you can use. The real key here is switching your coffee to the afternoon. Tip number five, focus on breathing into your stomach. So we hold the feeling of safety in our stomach. And because of that, when we breathe into our stomach, it's more of a natural state and actually creates that feeling of safety. It brings the blood flow there, all of that good stuff. And a lot of us don't realize it, but we breathe through our mouth and we breathe into our chest. And when we do that, especially the breathing into our chest, we're actually creating states of stress. We're like increasing the stress in our body. When you can breathe deep in through your nose, into your belly, like allow your belly to expand and then out through your nose as well, you allow yourself to start to create more safety in the moment. And it actually calms your body down. So just bring that, that like kind of attunement in to doing that for yourself. Number six, when emotions come up, feel them. Okay. This is like such a basic one. And this really goes along with some of the somatic work that we do, especially if you struggle to experience your emotions fully and let them out. But when we have emotions come up, letting them out is the best thing we can do. Meaning if you need to cry, cry. If you need to be angry, be angry, obviously not at the person, but like express the actual emotion in a very healthy way. Because when we are able to feel the emotions, it actually allows that energy from the emotion to leave our body, which allows us to regain that sense of neutrality that we had before the emotion came in. You want the emotion to like come in and then leave just like, a, like almost, I don't know why, but I'm thinking of a wave right now. Like you want it to like come in gently and then just exit because then you can continue to come back to that state of homeostasis. So what I would recommend with this one is just become more aware of your, emo- your like emotions that are coming up, what the signs are in the senses. And when they come up, allow yourself to experience them. So you can go back to that state of neutrality. A lot of us have been feeling our emotions and they've been so like heightened basically like, or not feeling them. We've been avoiding our emotions and that causes us to actually not be able to like come back to neutral, think clearly, do the things we know we want. It affects our awareness. It affects our clarity. It affects our mood and we never even realize it. So, so much of this state of peace can be created just by acknowledging the emotions when they come up and letting them out. Number seven, don't set an alarm when you can. Obviously this is not going to be something for everyone that they can do, especially with their like different careers. However, if you can give yourself the option to not set an alarm and sleep more when you can sleep is literally the most restorative way to heal anything going on in your body. And so if you also, I won't address this too much here, but if you have trouble sleeping, maybe I'll do an episode on this you're going to want to really bring your focus to that because that is like not allowing you to recover from the spikes of cortisol and all the things that you are doing to stress your body out during the day. And the sleep that you have is so important for that. There are literally times in the month where I've never, I used to be someone who could operate so well on five to six hours of sleep because I was always in an adrenaline state. I was always in a state of spiked cortisol. This obviously did a havoc on my body. Like, and I was very healthy, like to the common person. Right. But it actually wasn't healthy for me. And so it's so funny because now, and this is years in the making, when I really allow myself to tune into what I need sleep wise, there are times in the month where I really do only need like seven hours of sleep and I'm good. Like without an alarm, I fall asleep. I wake up, I'm good. But there are also times in the month where I need 10 hours of sleep every single night. And that is okay. Like 
giving ourselves the opportunity to do that when our body needs it, I've learned has been so vital to me being able to recover from the things that I do put my body through for the activities that I have for work or for friendships or for like exploring and like fun things that we do. So when you can give yourself that opportunity, not to set an alarm and really prioritize your sleep, even if it feels like you're sleeping more than what the doctors say or what's necessary, sometimes more than eight hours actually is the best thing for you. Number eight, switch personal development content to fun content. So this is especially, I think I've seen it for podcasts and books. So many of us have this addiction to podcasts and books that is like, not helping us at all. And so my advice to you, because this is actually creating more stress and it's probably helping right now is for you to identify, download, buy whatever you need to do a couple books and a couple podcasts that are like, like books. It would be like a fiction book, like a storybook and a podcast would be just like a fun podcast, not something informational or educational. And you just start to switch that for a lot of the times where you listen to personal development content, even if it's just like in between the car rides or in between like, you know, your five minute walk to the grocery store, whatever it is, start to switch these things to fun, like casual content as much as possible because, and just like notice what changes in your mind as you do this over time. All right. Number nine, what can you start doing to slow down? So this is really important is that a lot of us are rushing through so many of the things that we're doing. We're like literally doing five things at once, which is causing us to live in our head. And first off, that typically comes from a state of feeling pretty anxious or off or unsettled, which is the exact feeling you're going to want to feel to allow you to let it go and not be in that manic state. But also this has become a habit for a lot of us because we're so hyperproductive and we're so much attaching our self-worth to our productivity that it's really starting to affect our ability to unwind from this, which means that if you find yourself doing crazy, crazy things like, you know, cooking dinner, listening to a podcast, doing your laundry, talking to your husband, like listening to this and like clean, like whatever, you know what I mean? Well, the TV is on the background, like everything is happening at once. I want you to challenge yourself to not do that and ask yourself, how can I do this slower? Really key activities for this are like cooking, eating, uh, even cleaning would be a good one. Whenever you're in the shower, like that's another one walking another one, but ask yourself how you can actually slow down doing these things. And this brings me to the last tip, tip number 10, which is bring your attention to your senses and create more joy in those moments when you're slowing down, doing what you're doing, because if you can intentionally start to slow down, let's just say while you're cooking and allow yourself to really sit into how good it feels to slowly cut your vegetables and slowly cook the meat and observe what they look like and hear what it sounds like to like have that zucchini chopped. And like, what does the knife feel like when it hits the cutting board? And maybe you have some relaxing music on in the background, but you're really allowing yourself to sink in and set a vibe, maybe like light some candles or dim the lights before you even start cooking. And you give yourself a whole night to cook on your own and make a, it doesn't even have to be a decadent meal, but you allow yourself the slowness of cooking it and creating it and sitting down and eating it without a bunch of distractions. 
if you can bring something like that, where you're really just tuning into all of your senses into even just a couple parts of your day, it's going to make you more present. It's going to get you out of your head. And when we're in our head, not only does it suck the joy and the life out of life, but it also really causes us to start to fixate on negative thought patterns and negative beliefs and all of that crap that's stuck in there. And that always is going to spike our cortisol levels. So that's probably my favorite and the biggest tip that I can recommend to you is start to focus on how you can bring your attention to all five senses and become present in all of those moments of the day. All right, guys, those are the 10 tips that I have for you on reducing your cortisol levels. If you know someone who is really struggling with a lot of these patterns, I ask you to please share this episode with them. This is a really common problem. And a lot of us are not fully educated on how much it's affecting us or the tangible little things we can start to be doing to make these changes and fix them. And as I was telling you earlier, I've noticed such a difference in my life from starting to implement some of these things. And I know that you guys will too, as you do so. So the more that you can spread the message to other people who are also struggling with this, the better it's going to allow them to make their lives as well. And it'll help us spread this message so that we have less of us hurting our bodies without realizing it. If you really enjoy the podcast, I would also love it if you could leave a five-star rating and review on either Apple or Spotify. Otherwise I will be back next week with another episode. So until then enjoy all of the things going on for you and I will see you later. Bye.